<clears throat> okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's it's a very in, intense period right now, so so it's um, it's very important that we you know use this uh, Torah study to uh, to be able to just sort of like kind of radiate um, light and, and 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 goodness into the world, and and so um, you know there's a Israel's at war right now, and uh, you know. Uh, obviously, as a as as a, as a Jew, you know, I I, I want to see, uh, you know, my people's um, prayers answered and everything like that, um, and that we should be successful in this in this battle. Uh, but the the battle is to live in peace, and that's that's the goal of this. And um, the loss of life in general is is tragic. Uh, whether it's on our side or whether it's on any side, because we're all God's children. So, so that's that's the reality of it. And just to show you that, just how how treasured a thought that is, um, um, when the perhaps you know arguably the greatest open miracle certainly in the Torah is the splitting of the Red Sea, and when the um, Sea collapsed on the Egyptian army who were trying to kill us. Um, the angels sang, you know, about the greatness of this salvation that God had wrought for the Jewish people. And God said to the angels, well, you know, these are my children too, the, the dead Egyptians. So is it really appropriate that you should be singing like right now? Nonetheless, who is it who crashed the water on the Egyptians? It was God. So, but, so in other words, there's a very fine balance between wanting uh, to live in peace and sometimes the, what, what is involved in, in achieving those aims, um, which would be loss of life. On, on the other hand, though, simultaneously appreciating the sanctity of life across the board. And I want to talk about that balance because it's, um, it's a very, it's a very intense one. And... Um, anyone who, who uh, you know, tries to um, have a sort of a reductionist kind of like philosophy, like, uh, you know, war is bad or something like that, um, will not really fully appreciate what it means to navigate oneself through, through the world as it actually exists in, in, in reality. So one can't afford to be... Um, uh, sort of an idealist or um, have a sort of utopian vision unless that utopian vision actually addresses the true realities that we, um, that we face. Because otherwise, a person is just sort of being, um, just being arrogant, actually. You know, because, um, you know, for instance, imagine you are standing over someone who's bleeding and perhaps dying. And you say, cheer up, right? So you say, well, wait a second. I'm, I'm, I'm exuding positive energy. <laughs> you know what I mean? This person's bleeding and dying. What, what, what are you getting on my case for? I'm trying to put them in a positive place. But that's not helpful. It's not, it's not realistic. Call a doctor. Do something for them. Pay, make a donation toward their medical bill. Be, be, be realistic. Address the need as it actually exists to sort of like address it on this sort of like 
plane that doesn't address the actual reality of the situation is is it's it's it borders on the moronic. What's that? And, uh, silly. I mean silly. Oh, so 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 when one addresses um, how entrenched the dynamics are, the political dynamics are, the, 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 the historical dynamics, and wants to take a simplistic approach, it's, it's not really true idealism, and it's not true utopianism. Uh, one who wants to be truly idealistic and truly utopian, and we need that, believe me, and we're trying to do that, but one has to address the entrenched interests as well, Otherwise, what they're doing isn't isn't real. Isn't real, basically. It's just it's just pablum. It's just words. So, so let's approach this from a from a Torah context, and and I mean I think that is Torah. But let's see where we see these ideas in the Torah. So, I think that it's very interesting and. Um, I would say remarkable, but, you know, we've seen it so many times. I mean, the Torah is constantly talking about, the portion of the week is constantly talking about what's going on in reality. So at a certain point, I mean, can you call it remarkable every single time? I guess it is remarkable every single time. But nonetheless, you actually see it, and it's, it's, it's very compelling. So let's, let's just see where you see the world events in the, in the Torah itself, in the portion of the week. So everybody knows, like, as uh, they say... Uh, in 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 as the Lubavitcher Rebbe is is famously quoted as if if a person wants to live with the times, meaning to say if you want the true headlines that are going on, check the Torah portion of the week and you'll see what's going on in the world. And I saw it said even more poetically, more beautifully by Rabbi Moshe Wolfson, who said that that the that the fabric of reality itself is actually weaved from the letters of the Torah portion of the week. So you actually see just a very amazing, deep connection. So the ground invasion that's going on right now in Gaza, very interestingly, it started uh, during Parshas Pinchas, which is, which is, you know, very striking, because Parshas Pinchas, um, everybody knows Pinchas, also in English known as Phineas, right? You don't really ever hear that, but that's where the name Phineas comes from. Um, Parshas, Pinchas himself was a warrior, and we know that he there was a there was an incident um, where basically uh, we had kind of gone off the path, and and he did something which was amazing. He sort of killed the two people who were just like causing this plague in Israel, and he did it l'shem shemayim for the sake of heaven. Now. What's, what's interesting about this, and just, just I want to pause for one moment and just talk about what, what this idea of for the sake of heaven means. Because um, that's something that can be really uh, used by the wrong people or perhaps even used by the right people in wrong ways. So what does this concept, L'shem Shemayim, for the sake of heaven, mean? Because um, whenever it's used, at least in Jewish circles, it usually means like the highest, purest intentions, the highest, purest goals. And um, I just want to go into it a little more deeply right now. So I, I learned from Rabbi Weinberg in the name of the Taz, uh, a, another understanding, a deeper understanding of what L'shem Shemayim means, which is the following. 
See, normally speaking, someone would say, wow, you did that totally l'shem shemaim. And what they usually mean is that you, you did it with a, a very pure intention. Um, in other words, not to profit yourself. Right? You didn't do it to profit yourself. You just did it for, for God. Right? But there's a deeper way of understanding it, which is what the Taz is bringing out. Uh, one of the great Torah commentators. So the Taz is saying like this. No, L'shem Shemayim means that Hashem himself, God himself, has a goal for creation. Right? And we, we always talk about it, and we'll, we'll probably reference it later, so I might as well say it now. This is, so to speak, my theme song, you know, but it's important to have this laid out and in front of you. You see, Judaism believes in evolution in the deepest way, meaning to say that we believe that the world itself, that creation itself is evolving toward perfection, and that that was actually the point of the creation of the world from the outset, meaning to say that before God created the world, God envisioned a perfected world, a world without any war, without any hatred, without any hunger, without any obstacles to serving him. And he set about to create that vision, which he had from the very beginning. And the piece of imagery that I always like to mention, because I think it's very clear, when an architect builds a house, the first thing they envision is the finished building. And then you go about and you set about to build it, right? You don't imagine planks of wood and a hammer, right? You imagine a finished piece. And then how am I going to get there? So that's Hashem in this world. Hashem envisioned a perfected world, and then he made us partners with him in achieving that world. Now, there are major, major implications to this thought. One of them is a recognition that the world as we live in it right now is not done yet. No? No. That's, that's essential. Because any thinking person, or rather, let me rephrase that, every thinking person asks the following question. If there's a God, and God is good, why is the world so messed up? Every single person has this question, whether they're able to articulate it or not. And the answer is, because the world's not done yet. That's why we're here. We're here, God made us partners with him, in terms of finishing the world. That's what it is. So now let me, let's return back to the initial idea. What does it mean to be L'shem Shemayim, as the Taz understands it in a deeper way? It means that you want what God wants. For the sake of heaven means that I'm davening for Mashiach, I'm davening for the perfection of the world. Not just because I've got a lot of problems, and it would be great to live in a world without any more problems anymore, although that in itself is a good prayer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. But that's already me-based, right? I want to solve my problems, and if we can get to this era of peace, I won't have these problems. It's not a bad prayer, but there's a higher prayer there, which is that, God, your intent from the very outset was to bring about this world where there were no problems. I want you to have your desire. That, that's what it means for the sake of heaven. I want, I, God, I want your prayers to be answered, your desires to be answered, so to speak. Right? That's really on a much deeper level what it means to be L'shem Shemayim for the sake of heaven. That you're like, you're thinking, how can, how can God be happier, so to speak? Okay, God's very happy, right? God's beyond that. I mean, just to even say that sounds silly. But, but, but nonetheless, to, to, 
to know that God has a particular desire and to want to see that fulfilled so that Hashem himself will have nachas ruch, will have satisfaction, however we're able to understand that in, in the deepest way. Okay, now, now let's get deeper with this idea, which is that, it, let's say a person is l'shem shemayim, and remember, we're talking about Pinchas right now. It's this amazing example of being L'Shem Shemayim, right? So, so let's say a person wants to be L'Shem Shemayim, okay? For the sake of him. Um, well, I saw in the name of the Kutzker Rebbe that the Kutzker Rebbe said something very, very intense. He said that a person has to make sure that their L'Shem Shemayims are L'Shem Shemayim. You see, now this starts to get much deeper. So what, 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 what does that mean exactly? That means that, you see, every person wants to um, dress themselves up uh, with a garb of righteousness. Any person who is positively motivated, they, they, they want to, if, if they're going to pursue spirituality at all, they want to do it in the purest, deepest way. That just makes sense. So if they understand that the highest, deepest way is to do something L'Shem Shemayim for the sake of heaven, then they want to be L'Shem Shemayim, right? But the question then is, who is that L'Shem Shemayim for? (laughs) Is it for themselves? In other words, just to garb themselves with the most beautiful trappings? Or is it for God? So a person has to make sure that their L'Shem Shemayim is L'Shem Shemayim. That they're really being L'Shem Shemayim for the sake of heaven itself and not just to further glorify themselves. Amen. Do, 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 do you hear that? And for a person to be able to understand that, they have to really delve deeply within their heart and they have to really ask themselves the question, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? You know, what do I expect to come from this? Right? You see, and these are... but. But, but, but please know, what I'm talking about right now is very exalted levels of purity. In other words, everyone's got to start somewhere. And if a person shouldn't fall into this trap, let's talk about the other side of it. A person shouldn't fall into the trap of saying that, you know what, I'm only going to do this to the extent that I can do it without any ulterior motive. Because if a person says, you know what, I'm only going to do this if I can do it without any ulterior motive, that person has fallen into a complete trap because, because everyone will have some aspect of an interior, uh, ulterior motive. Even if you want to say, well, wait a second, I want to do the right thing. Isn't me wanting to do the right thing an ulterior motive? So, so you can play games with yourself. And this then becomes the realm of what we call the Yetzirah, right? The evil inclination, which tries to cut down a person's, um, you know, positive path from the outset and every step along the way. So in other words, what I'm trying to lay out for you is a, is a, is a macro plan right now, which has like these very high, high levels, right? Where you say that even my L'Shem Shemayim should be L'Shem Shemayim. Even, even when I do something for the sake of heaven, it shouldn't just be this sort of like outer trapping of, look, you thought I was great. Now you see really how great I am. That's not what you want. You want it to be, I know that, that when I do something L'Shem Shemayim, even that should be without an ulterior motive. But on the other side, don't fool yourself into thinking that you can't start down the path if you have some level of ulterior motive. 
ulterior motives are almost impossible to uh, avoid. And, and they, don't, um, they don't impurify or wipe out the good that comes. In other words, if a person gives tzedakah, and they want to give tzedakah because they want their picture in the paper, right? Well, still, they've donated a building, haven't they? <laughs> still, they've given someone who's on the street uh, some food. You know, that food will digest and satisfy hunger, whether the person did it for their own ego or, or not. In other words, sir, goodness works. Goodness works. Now, because we're concerned people and when we want this to be as, as beautiful as possible, right? We want to do beautiful things in beautiful ways, right? We don't, a lot of people, they do beautiful things in, in ways that aren't beautiful. You know, Reb Shlomo would talk about all the time, people who are, he would use the term biting, right? Biting. You know, I, I, I had, yeah, so I had an experience one time where there was a, a, a couple that we had over many, many, many years ago. And um, they, you know, they were kind of new to, new to the Shabbos table and everything like this. And, and we said, okay, so now let's um, go and uh, we're going to wash our hands before we eat bread. And, um, you know, uh, you know, when, when you do that, or bless you, maybe you don't know when you do it, but, but you're supposed to take off your ring so there shouldn't be any um, sort of separation between your hands and the water. So you take off your ring, whatever it is. So the couple sat down and I had had a chance to tell the guy, you know, and um, the guy turned to his wife at the table and he said, uh, she hadn't taken off her ring. I guess no one told her, whatever. You know, it's a, there are bigger deals in the world than not taking off your ring, by the way. But anyway, just the, the point being that she hadn't taken off her ring. And he turned to her, right? Like he was like the chief rabbi of Israel saying, <laughs> oh, you didn't take off your ring. Like this guy knows one thing. This guy knows one thing and he's already using it to hit his wife over the head with, Right? So this is, this is biting. This is biting, you know? The point being that, okay, thank God, you, you learn something, it's good, but you don't then use that to wield against someone else, right? So this is what, when we talk about doing beautiful things in beautiful ways, it's what we're talking about. Like, you learn something, okay, so then how can I apply that, okay? So let me, let me tell you a story that, that um, I learned yesterday and it really moved me. Um, the whole uh, Musser movement um, was designed to really make some people uh, acutely, acutely sensitive to each other in, in, in the best way. So one of the, one of the great Bali Musser, masters of the Musser movement, was someone named Rabbi Isser Zalman Meltzer. And so it's, the point of this story is, is the smallness of this story. The point is the smallness. So, so just understand that from the outside. So one of his students found him standing outside his apartment block or whatever it was. And he said, he's pacing back and forth. He's waiting for something. What's he waiting for? You know? So the student asks him, you know, can I help you? And he said, no, no, it's okay. And he, then he goes, he sees he's still waiting outside his building. What's going on, right? So he, the student comes back. He says, you sure I can't help you? Like, why? What's going on? You know? So he says, there's a woman who's cleaning up there, you know, and she's singing. And if she, if I walk into the building, she's going to see me and stop singing. He says, so why should I make her stop singing? <laughs> why, because of me, she should stop singing? So he stood outside the building until she finished. Now, 
again, the, the, the ex, what you see here, here is a great man who has things to do that are not being done while he's standing outside waiting on the sidewalk. But nonetheless, the exquisite, the exquisite sensitivity of how his presence and his actions are going to be affecting other people. And then measuring what's the best thing for this moment. So this is, this is doing beautiful things in beautiful ways. This is actually having information, right? And applying that information in a way that's good. So now let's get back to Pinchas because we started off this talk talking about how um, that if someone wants to be truly idealistic and truly utopian, they have to acknowledge the realities of the situation. Talking about the war right now. And, and, and so, so what, what, what does that mean? So very interestingly, the ground invasion started in Parshas Pinchas. Pinchas we know is a great warrior. Now as it's escalated, as it's escalated this week, very interestingly, you know, you don't have a war. So what's this week's Parsha? This week's Parsha, you have a war, right? That we just read yesterday. You don't have a war in every week's Parsha. So it's very interesting that there's the Jewish people going out to war. And it's right there. It's a dramatic victory, by the way. And who is the general of the army leading this war against Midian? And the answer is Pinchas again. Very, very striking. Very, very striking. That he goes from this very particular event where he was completely L'Shem Shemayim. It's not like, I'm mad at you guys because you guys are messing up the Jewish people, so I'm going to kill the two of you because I'm mad at you because you're not doing the right thing or you're not doing what I want. It wasn't that at all. It was totally, totally L'Shem Shemayim. Totally for the sake of heaven. And the proof is that you have this dramatic thing, and we'll discuss this a little bit more because this is there's an important idea right now, which is that how does God reward Pinchas? Amazingly, now remember, he's just killed two people, right? Two people who, you know, for better or worse, had the death penalty on them, by the way. Um, God rewards him with the covenant of peace. So this is, for a lot of people, a mind-bending idea. Well, wait, he just killed two people, and yet... There's a covenant of peace happening? Like, what? Aren't these two things irreconcilable? I mean, it sounds like a total contradiction. How do you reconcile death and peace? Right? And by the way, he stopped a plague, which was killing many, 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 many people, like thousands of people. 24,000 people had already died. So he, he stopped this massive plague. So, okay, so there you see peace in a very big way. But to relate it back to what's going on, you know, this moment... When Israel goes into Gaza, it's not trying to conquer territory. It's not trying to enslave a people. It's trying to stop rockets from firing on civilians. It's trying to create a situation where the Jewish people can live in the land as well as whoever else is living there. There are many, many Arabs living there as well with citizenship and voting rights and they're members of the Knesset, the parliament in Israel, so that they can live in peace. In other words, this is a war for peace. And that's, that's very, it's, 
Very important. I, I, I heard this quote from um, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, which I, I just, the, the simplicity of this was just so compelling, which was, he said, we use our weapons um, to protect civilians. They use their civilians to protect their weapons. That, that's, that's, a very, that's a very horrific ju- juxtaposition. And yet, yet you, see, you see what's going on. So, so in other words, we, we want peace. We want peace. But how do you have, how do you have peace in, in a situation like this? Now, now again, again, it's very complicated. And I want to acknowledge how complicated it is. I do. And I'm not saying that they're um, easy answers, and I don't even want to start suggesting any answers because I'm not a negotiator, I'm not a, I'm not a member of any government. What do I know? I, I don't know anything. So I don't want to pretend that I know anything. And I'm sure they have legitimate claims, and I'm sure that they have legitimate grievances as well. And I don't want to disregard those. However, there is a situation where you talk it out and you don't fire thousands of rockets on, on civilians. There was an, an amazing quote from, from the, from the uh, Palestinian UN, uh, 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 I don't know if ambassador is the technical term, but you can look it up. An amazing thing. He said, I read it. He said, I'm not running for any office, so I can say this. This is what he said. He said, every rocket we fire is a crime against humanity. He said that he also accused Israel of crimes against humanity, by the way. But he said what Israel does, and he acknowledged it, he says they, they drop flyers and they drop leaflets. They, they, they actually make phone calls into people's homes and they tell them to evacuate the area. He says when we fire, this is the Palestinian UN person, when we fire on Israeli civilians, we don't give them any warning. We don't tell them any of these things. And it was a stunning acknowledgement. Another stunning acknowledgement, like, where else have you ever seen this before? The, the foreign minister of Egypt, and believe me, he's not talking unless President el-Sisi is, is allowing him to make a statement like this. So basically, with the permission of the president of Egypt, says this entire ground incursion, this is the head of Egypt talking, this entire ground, encourage, uh, ground in, in, in invasion, is the, is the Palestinians' fault because they were offered a ceasefire and they rejected it. Now, where, do you, where else have you ever seen like a statement like that from, from Egypt at the, at the beginning of a, a conflict like this? Where, where else have you ever seen anything like this? So, so, so but I want to go deeper. And again, I never talk politics, but again, a person... A person can't ignore what, what Hashem is putting in front of them. You know, and, and, and now I want to go into what I think is a more deeper part of the talk, and, and perhaps as it relates to all of us in our daily lives right now. You see, we've got a, a, a Masora, a, a tradition, and it's very simply put, Pinchas Zu Eliyahu. That's what it says. Pinchas zu Eliyahu. Pinchas is Eliyahu. Now, who is Eliyahu? Eliyahu is the, the great prophet of Israel who announces the coming of Mashiach. Oh, right. 
All right? That's, 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 that's who it is. Now, now, how exactly is Pinchas Eliyahu? So the simple answer would be that his soul is reincarnated as Eliyahu. That would be the simple answer, but I'm sure you could get other answers as well. But nonetheless, that's, what the actual mechanics of it are beside the point. The, the, the real point is that, that our tradition associates, more than associates, says that Pinchas is Eliyahu, right? But, but what point am I actually making right now? Maybe not the point you think I'm making. I'm not making any predictions about Mashiach. That's not what's going on right now. What, what I'm talking about is a model of spirituality, a, a, of Torah spirituality, that I think that people really need to embrace and understand, which is, you know, in the sort of Western world, or actually even in the Eastern world to a certain extent, even in the secular world, you know, without overgeneralizing, but, but, but still, there's a concept of someone who's spiritual as being someone who's very laid back and someone who is almost disengaged. Or that, that spirituality, the levels of spirituality are measured to the extent that someone almost tries to stay above a situation, right? This is not Torah spirituality, you know? Torah spirituality embraces meditation, embraces sort of like um, trying to get into the inner dynamics of, of how creation and this dimension and other dimensions, you know, are sort of like constructed and how we can sort of like bring healing to the world in all sorts of amazing, interesting ways. Torah spirituality embraces all of these things, right? Breathing, all, all sorts of amazing things. However, Pinchas zu Eliyahu. If, if Eliyahu is, is the model, basically, of this messianic era that we're heading toward, right? Isn't it interesting that the counterpart of that is Pinchas, who's the ultimate person who engages the here and now of this situation, completely unafraid of going into battle? You see, one of the one of the first things that I learned when I started like learning Torah more seriously was um, that that God, the name of God, when we say uh, I'm talking about the Yudke Vavke, right, the most exalted name of God, that you know that that's a contraction of three words, Haya, Hove, and Yiyah, which means was, is, and will be. In other words, so when you have the name of Hashem, which is Yud and He and Vav and He, it's a contraction of was, is, and will be, past, present, and future. But what's striking about this on, a, on one level, there's zillions of things that are striking about that, but one, one thing is that grammatically speaking, God is actually a verb. And what that means is that our concept of godliness requires action. Our concept of Torah spirituality actually means that one has to be sort of like above, but actually within simultaneously, and to engage the reality in a very active way. And so the, the concept, Pinchas zu Eliyahu, that Pinchas and Eliyahu, which sound like opposites in a way, because Pinchas is this amazing man of war, Right, but war for the sake of peace, right? And then Eliyahu, who's this exalted, 
like figure which is announcing the arrival of the next era of humanity. Right? That, they're, that they correlate, that they're two sides of... In other words, how do you get to Eliyahu? Through Pinchas. You know? So that's, that's, that's what's going on. That's our model. And so, so that, means, that means that a person has to, has to engage. Now, I want to mention something from the Parsha, because... Again, I want to try to be very practical in terms of our own lives and our, our own spiritualities and how can we, how can we do this. So there's a, another lesson from the Parsha that I think is um, interesting in this way. Before we went into battle uh, with Midian, as I said, led by Pinchas, who is now at this point the head of the entire army, okay? So this is that, so sort of a subcategory of this Pinchas energy, if you will. There's, there's an interesting uh, 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 incident that takes place with the tribe of Reuven and uh, Gad and, 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 and Menashe and, and Moshe. And it goes like this. Basically, we were on the other side of, of Israel, right? And hadn't gotten into Israel yet. And um, these tribes had lots and lots and lots and lots of cattle. And there were really lush pastures in this area. And they were like, you know, this would really be a good place for us to settle. So why don't we settle here? Because this is like great for our situation, like where our lifestyle is right now. And so they say to Moshe, like, how does that sound? (laughs) And Moshe's like, really like kind of loses it. And he's like, wait a second. We're about to go into battle, right? And you're, you're basically saying, you know, we want to, like, hang out over here. You know, if, what kind of message is this going to send to the rest of the Jewish people? So, and then he compares them to the spies. Remember the whole instance of the spies, which was like a total epic disaster for the Jewish people. Like the whole 40 years of wandering in the desert happened be, oh, because of the sin of the spies. Not, oh, it's like a whole lot of... No, one reason, the sin of the spies, when they gave a bad report about going into Israel, right? So he says, this is going to, this year, you're, you're replaying out like, like this huge disaster. We've just gotten over this 40-year period where a whole generation had to like pass before us going in. And now you're like starting to repeat it again. Like you want to stay outside uh, of the land and not go in. So they get the message and they say, okay, so here, here's our idea. Here's our idea. We're going to fight and we're going to like fight basically even at the head of the army. So we're not going to send this message. We're, we're on board. We're all unified. We're all unified, and we're going to build. We're going to build uh, pens, like you know, enclosures for our flocks and cities for our children. And and Moshe says back to him, "Okay, if you're really on board and you're going to go in all together and everything like that." And then he says back to them, but he reverses something, which is really striking. He says. Good, and then you'll make cities for your children and pens for your flocks. <laughs> he reverses it. Again, like, what are one's priorities in life? They were like, okay, you know, we're going to protect our, our asset class. We, have, we happen to have, you know, cattle futures, you know, and it's sort of like, let's like make sure that those are all enclosed over here. And then also for our children, we're going to make cities. And Moshe's like, wait a second, wait a second. Make cities for your children. That's your real future. It's not, you know... Let's, let's have first things first. Take care of your children 
And then you're going to make pens to close in your cattle so that they're also protected. Okay, good. So a lot of commentaries like talk about how Moshe sort of like, you know, reset the agenda or clarified, you know, priorities, if you will. I want to say something, just something that occurred to me. Why did they, why did they say we're going to make uh, pens for our cattle first? Okay. Why did they do that? So I want to say on a deeper level the following. That what they were saying was, you see, one's Yetzirah, one's negative inclination, it's, it's called one's animalistic nature. In other words, human beings have this amazing schizophrenic quality, if you will, or, or bipartite, you know, kind of construct, which is that on the one hand, we're made of earth, Adam, which means a person, comes from the word Adama, which means ground. We're made of earth. At the same time, though, that earth is like this amazing vessel for a piece of God himself, an aspect of God himself. That's our soul, right? And we exist and we kind of, you know, have good days and bad days. So I was saying the other day, good minutes and bad minutes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll just tell you just, uh, just something... You know, this past week or something like that, I, uh, you know, just, uh, I was just having a hard time and I really was like, just, just felt, wow, just, it's one thing after another and I, I was just feeling like everything's falling apart, everything's falling apart. And then I heard this voice in my head or whatever it is, a thought, I had a thought, that's probably a better way of saying it. And, and it was, uh, you're having a bad day. <laughs> you're having a hard day. And it was such a healing thing because I really felt like everything was absolutely falling, like my life was falling apart. And just to hear, you're having a hard day. <laughs> like it was just such a nice balance, you know? And, and I just, it was just very healing, you know? So anyway, we've got good moments and bad moments too. Like it just, you know, just to keep everything in perspective. So our animalistic nature, you know, that's like the cattle. And basically what they were saying is, what, what is a pen? What, what, what is this enclosure? What we want to do is we want to put a fence around our Yetzirah. See, let me just, just clarify what, what I'm talking about so you understand. You see, we have this model, which is Sur Meirah Ve'asetov. Sur Rava Asetov. This is a big foundation in terms of understanding uh, just Avodas Hashem, serving God. What does it mean? It means refrain from bad and do good. Right? These are the two ways that a person expresses themselves in this world. You know, we have positive commandments and negative commandments. In other words, what are we supposed to do and what are we supposed to stop ourselves from doing? Right? These are the twin energies that a person has to master. And I heard that that was what was fundamentally damaged in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Chava, was we no longer know when we're supposed to do something and when we're not supposed to do something. Of course, we have the Torah, which lays out the blueprint, 
But on a moment-to-moment basis, oftentimes we don't know when we're supposed to do something and when we're supposed to refrain ourselves from doing something. This is the great challenge of the human condition. Um, so it's, it's phrased as surme ra va'ase tov, refrain from bad and do good, right? So the question is, which side do you emphasize? Which side goes first? So, so they were saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, we're going to make pens for our flocks, our cattle. In other words, we'll rein in our animalistic nature, that's surmeira, avoid doing bad, and we'll make cities for our children. One's mitzvot, one's good deeds are called your children. Okay? And there's something very beautiful about that. The idea that just like you put a child in the, into the world or a child comes into the world and then makes decisions, right? Which are an outgrowth of, of how you raise that person, right? But they become an independent force. So it is with our mitzvot on a very deep level. We put a certain positive energy into the world and then that has an integrity of itself and sort of like, sort of like ripples through the world like, like, a, like a human being on some level and also just improves and has an impact in ways that you don't even know about. So our good deeds are also called our children, okay? So surmeira, right? That's, we'll make fences for our cattle, for our animalistic nature, we'll reign in doing bad, and we'll do good. We'll make cities of children, so to speak, right? And Moshe Rabbeinu says back to them, no. First you make cities of children, (laughs) then you rein in your animalistic nature. In other words, again, getting back to Pinchas Zueliyahu, this Torah model of engagement in a spiritual way with the world. What are we supposed to do first? So a person can say, I'm so broken. I'm so broken. There's so many bad things that I do. I'm not keeping this and I'm not keeping that. And I am doing this and I am doing that. And I'm a total mess and I'm a disaster and everything like that. And a person can just dwell in their own darkness, right? Or, or go out and light a candle. Light that candle, which like illuminates the darkness. And then you will have the strength to, to, to do whatever improvements you need. Like the Ishbitzer Rebbe says, like famously by Elul, what is the month of Elul, which we know comes right before Rosh Hashanah, when we're really concentrating on improving ourselves? So you say, okay, well, I'm going to fix all the mistakes that I'm making. So what does the Ishbitzer Rebbe say? Unbelievable. He says, you, the first thing that you do in Elul is fix what you're doing right. In other words, those things that I'm already doing, but the question is, am I doing them with all of my heart? Right? First, do, do the stuff that you're already doing, but do it with all of your heart. And then that will give you the energy and the life force in order to conquer other battles in your life. So that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying. You know, first, emphasize the good. Get out there and do stuff. And then that's going to bring a tikkun, a fixing, so that you'll be able to have strength to, to face other demons, so to speak. Demons. You know, I'm speaking metaphorically and not metaphorically. Oh. So, um, okay. So, so one's, one's uh, troubles are often referred to as their demons, but, but you know, uh, I gave a talk called Demons in Torah, if you want to listen to that one, you know, it'll go more into depth into the actual thing. But, um, but anyway, uh, 
we'll just end on this note that what, um, what, what, what Moshe was really emphasizing and what we have to understand is that our model, that we can't, we can't give ourselves the, um, the, 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 the fake luxury, the fake, the fake luxury of equating spirituality with, with, with ignoring with ignoring things, and that 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 to be truly spiritual, that one has to actually have an element of of being quite brave and being a bit of a warrior in their life. And I'm not talking about being a, a military figure right now, but to actually engage what they perceive to be as problems, but not to engage them that oh I learned X and now I'm beating you over the head with my you know, information, but to do beautiful things in beautiful ways. There's no reason why a person can't be actively engaged in the world, but doing it in a very loving, beautiful way. And, 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 and we have the ability to do that. We have the ability to do that. Um, okay, I'll just end with a little tiny advertisement. There's a beautiful program right now, which is... Um, uh, what's the name of it? The, the the getting a partner with someone in the army. Yeah, I have the name. Uh, so there's a a, a a program right now where you can actually uh, sign up, and they'll give you the name of a soldier, and then you that's your guy, right? And you walk around with that name, and you know whatever you do, you have them in mind. What's up? Shmira. Yeah. Shmira right. It's called. Thank you. It's called the Shmira Project, and you can look it up, and you just sign up and. I have a name. It's uh, Abraham Yehuda Ben Yehudas Rus. Should be protected along with all of the soldiers, and along with all of God's children, right? Because what we what we want is peace. What we want is peace. Okay. Square. Square.